Coming in hot, 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 Lisa shares her financial tips and strategies to build wealth, have fun with finances, and be debt-free without having a restrictive budget. From bankrupt to millionaire, Lisa knows what it's like to feel as if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Her unconventional money multiplier system is the very wealth protocol that enabled her to retire two and a half years early, pay down $100,000 of debt in six months, and move to her dream home at the beach. Coming in hot, 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 Lisa shares her financial tips and strategies to build wealth, have fun with finances, and be debt-free without having a restrictive budget. From bankrupt to millionaire, Lisa knows what it's like to feel as if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Her unconventional money multiplier system is the very wealth protocol that enabled her to retire two and a half years early, pay down $100,000 of debt in six months, and move to her dream home at the beach. Are we recording? No. Hey, 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 welcome to this episode of I Date Money. I'm your wealth activator, Lisa Drennan. And today we have an amazing guest. Christina Morelli is a relationship and personal coach working with individuals and people in partnership to create healthy, rewarding, fulfilling relationships. Her practice is all about fostering self-awareness and providing the relationship education and skills we were never taught. The mission is to educate the world on how to increase relational and emotional intelligence, overall happiness, and personal healing. I love that. Emotional intelligence kind of stuck out for me. Welcome, Christina, to the show. I'm so excited that you're here. Tell me more about the emotional intelligence. This this piqued my curiosity for some reason. Yeah, absolutely. So emotional intelligence is essentially being aware of your emotional state, how that's impacting your bodily experience, which is often referred to as somatic practices or your somatic experience. And how do you respond to those emotions, right? So oftentimes when we are feeling really emotionally activated, we just react without actually taking a step back, checking out what's going on, doing a body scan, what's going on with us, what am I feeling, where am I feeling it, and what is my what is my desire right now? What, what do I want to do in response to this emotion? Is it helping or will it hurt the situation? So having emotional intelligence is having the one understanding of what emotions are. Unfortunately, a lot of people, more specifically in men, because they weren't taught many of their emotions outside of anger, don't really even know how to identify their emotions and what they're experiencing. So the ability to actually identify your emotions is such a game changer in how we interact in our life, how we interact with people in general, and more importantly, how we interact in our most personal relationships with family, with romantic partners, with friends. So as you are able to understand these emotions, identify them, you then can actually objectively start to view that emotion and be like, okay, I'm feeling anxious right now. I am maybe feeling clingy or I am needing to feel grounded. And then you can actually start putting a plan in place and understand what the actions are that you need to take in order to start regulating, right? So it's really about emotional regulation. Anytime somebody lashes out or 
avoids a situation or runs away from it, or oftentimes even with um, drug addicts, like we're all just trying to create a calm state, a state of homeostasis, emotional regulation within ourselves. So that way we can get back to a place of fully functioning. So when we can actually recognize when we're emotionally activated, what do I need in order to feel regulated? And then I can take those steps and actions. And it's really about creating that space for yourself to think through it. And a lot of the times it is not second nature for us to do that because we weren't taught how to do that, right? Mm -hmm. That was never something that people demonstrated for us or taught us in school. Oftentimes what we see at home is what we know in regards to how do we have relationships? How do we handle our own relationship with ourselves and the emotions that we are working through? Especially whenever we were shunned or shamed or told us to go to our room whenever we were having less than positive emotions, then we're taught to hide those emotions. We're taught to deal with them on our own versus having somebody who can hold really supportive, safe space for us to just process our emotions. If we could teach children at a super young age that emotions come and go, then we wouldn't be so scared of them. We wouldn't resist them so much. So that is more about the emotional intelligence. I love that. Thank you for summarizing that. And it's it's so true. Our thoughts are the most powerful tool that we have. They create our feelings. And when we can just sit with our feelings and allow them to manifest into process. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. a certified aromatherapy practitioner. So we combine the breath with the sense to accelerate that process. And it's so powerful. And it's really the foundation of everything that we do from our relationships to health and wealth. And when you think about applying that to your relationships with money, I, I know as a relationship personal coach, you're all about the money and, and the flow and, and the ease, but having that relationship, imagining money as person, and I know that you practice this, when you think about money as a relationship, mm. what's your relationship like and what was it like before you started this journey? That is such a good question. And this makes me so excited because something that I learned about a relationship with money is treating it like your romantic partner or like somebody you're dating. And it's about what are those conversations look like with money? So when I am writing in my journal and I'm doing some money work, I will have a conversation with money about like, hey, I really miss you. I haven't seen you for a while if I'm going through a drought right? I would love to spend more time together. What are some things you would love to do together? Let's go shopping and play dress up, or let's go see how we can grow together and learn about investing. It's really about like, how would you talk to money as if you were talking to a person? And that's one Mm. of my favorite practices. That is definitely a game changer for me when it comes to running my own business. Because before that, I feel like most of us have grown up in a scarcity mindset. Um, My father is very old school, work hard, save, and have the typical nine to five job, put money in retirement. And that just never really felt fulfilling to me. In fact, I felt really dead inside whenever I was working at a corporate job. I worked at a corporate job for 15 years and then a, a year ago. So I've been coaching for eight years, but a year ago, I finally was like, I'm done with this. Like, I just want to fully focus on what I love. And there was a horrific shift for me. In fact, it was really, unfortunately, 
really stressful and slightly traumatic because I so strongly tied my personal value to my net worth. And I was making really good money in corporate America. And I was set up. I had all the benefits. I had an amazing uh, retirement plan. I even had a pension. Not many companies have pensions anymore. And I also, at the time, was just starting to date somebody new. And what was coming up for me was like, oh my God, what if this like changes for them? What if they look at me differently? Because money, I... I tend to, well, actually every single relationship I've ever had, I've always been the money maker. And so there was a, a lot of identity unraveling that I needed to do around my understanding of how money is tied to my identity. And then started to start having to work on like, where is my value? My value is not in my money. My value is in how I make people feel, what I provide to the people that I love and that I care about. And mm-hmm. so I really had to do a really big transition and mindset shift around my understanding of what money means to me and how what it means to the people in my life, because I tied so much of my value to my money. And part of that shift was treating it like my my boyfriend, treating mm-hmm. money like my boyfriend. Let's have fun, money. Let's do it. Let's hang out more. Let's go to the movies. Let's go take care of some people by donating to a, a cause or something like that. Like, what can we do together that feels really good for the both of us? I love that. And, you know, the, the emotions that you have when you're talking to money, one of the um, things that we do in my wealth accelerator program with my clients is writing a money, writing a letter to money and telling, mm-hmm. I mean, some days, like you said, we're ticked off at money. I'm sorry, money. You're just not here. Where are you? Like, mm-hmm. there isn't enough. And there's a sense of panic. And one of the things working with thousands of people, the one thing they all have in common, regardless of what, you know, their net worth is. They're afraid to spend the money that they have, especially the money that they've invested over the years, because there might not be enough in the future. Mm-hmm. When we think about like, even when I hear it, I can I can just imagine four of the clients right now that I'm working with that have this sense of, you know, like you get that tightness in your chest and your emotions start coming in and you're like so afraid to spend your money. Like, even yeah. though your name's on the account, you own it you're the boss of money, you know, yeah. you get to sell money, look at you're working for me. Mm-hmm. What's your best advice on how to regulate that in that relationship aspect when you get that feeling of, you know, even though when you look at your wealth activation roadmap, you got $2 million, but you're afraid to spend 3000 on, you know, the trip because mm-hmm. all these thoughts come through your head. Yeah, I have a couple ideas. When you ask that question, the first idea is, how would you want to be treated if somebody was afraid to lose you or to to let you go in the sense of like if you're in a relationship, a romantic relationship, and your partner is feeling really insecure in that relationship and you're like, I want to go out with my friends for lunch. And they're like, no, don't leave me, you know, like just clinging on so tight. And you're just like, whoa, stop suffocating me. Like in order for me to bring energy to this relationship, I need to be able to fuel myself And I think about it again in the same way with money. It's like the more you can generously like give it room to breathe and activate and and 
fulfill, like feed itself, then it Mm -hmm. comes back and feeds you, right? So the more that I can take care of myself and energize myself, the more I can bring energy back into my relationship versus people who are in relationship and then they don't have lives outside of the relationship and they live in this enmeshment or codependency their relationships become dull and they don't have anything to talk about. The only thing they talk about is their um, memories, right? It's like, how are you bringing energy into the relationship? What are you doing to contribute? It's the same thing with money. So in order for you to breathe life into money, you have to let it go to give you that energy back. You do that through experiences. The other thought I had is the book, A Die With Zero, I think is what it's called. So Mm -hmm. good. It talks about how to essentially die with no money in your bank. And that's the goal that you actually want to achieve for many reasons. And in regards to what you were asking about, like taking that trip, think about instead of worrying about saving all of your money for retirement, yes, save your money for, there is, you absolutely have to save, you absolutely have to invest, you absolutely have to make sure you can stay out of survival mode in order for you to thrive. But the thing you also want to consider is if it's a matter of $3,000 now, one, money comes and goes. There's always a way to make money. You can always get a job, whether it's being a dishwasher or running a company. There's always options to make money. But when you think about, should I spend this money right now? The book talks about um, categorizing the things that you want to do in life and at what time in your life, like what time frame. So do I want to go to Machu Picchu, but I'll do it when I retire. You might not be able to climb Machu Picchu when you retire. So when you're making these decisions about how to spend money, when to spend money, you really have to take into consideration where you are in your life. And if you're able to do that, because now is the time in order to live your most fulfilled life to the fullest extent, you have to be very considerate about what your capacity is now versus what it could be later and take advantage of that. Spend the money now, have the experiences. Money is a tool to live your most fulfilled life. It is not something that gives you happiness. It's a tool to give you the experiences that do provide joy and happiness in your life. Yeah, that is so true. And and we get to create, you know, like in our, my program, I have my clients, the first thing we do is set up money buckets, we get to create money buckets so that we can look at our goals and go after them and reverse engineer them. So we can have these experiences. And I don't necessarily agree with, you know, dying with zero, because if you have a family, you want to leave a beautiful legacy. And you know, what a blessing to be able to say, hey, here's an inheritance for you, you know, and passing that wealth onto them, not even just the the dollar value of it, but the knowledge behind it and Mm. the wisdom behind, like, this is how you partner with money and multiply it. And uh, my favorite book is The Richest Man in Babylon. Mm -hmm. Back in the 90s, my client gave this book to me. It was my very first uh, retirement um, client. He was filing for retirement benefits and we were creating his portfolio. And he's like, hey, can I give you some advice? I'm like, absolutely. And he's like, have you ever read the book, you know, The Richest Man in Babylon? I'm like, no. He goes, well, do you like to read? I'm like, I'm an avid reader. Yeah. Read this. He goes, if I would have read it at your age, I would have been a trillionaire. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm on it. And so I have the book, I read it every quarter, implemented the strategy, and it it was very aligned with what my grandmother taught me. My maternal grandmother taught me the money envelope system. Mm -hmm. She gave me a piggy bank with two slots, you know, or three slots, one with, um, you know, forgiving, one for saving, and then, you know, the rest was for how I wanted to spend it. And I remember looking at this piggy bank and saying, 
well, I get to put a lot in the money I want to spend container. Like, what do I spend my money on? She's like, well, think about what you would really love to have Mm -hmm. and what would bring you joy. And it was such a great lesson, you know, and throughout the years, I took those money envelopes and created the, the electronic money buckets. And it's so much fun to receive income and put it in one of those money buckets. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs will commingle their funds. They'll kind of mix their business with their pleasure, with their personal Mm. finances, and it becomes a hot tangled mess. It's almost like you're cheating on your money. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. (laughs) I do want to make one quick um, point about what you said about leaving legacy. I completely agree. But in the book, they talk about like, well, what about the kids? And they talk about how giving money to your children at a younger age versus waiting until you pass where maybe your kids are, 60 or whatever, if you want your kids to have the fullest, richest life possible, they talk about like giving it to your children at a younger age when it's the most opportune time for them to utilize it to, again, have their fullest, richest life. So yes, always take care of the kids, have the legacy, but don't wait until your kids are too old to spend it the way that they need to or want to, to feel really activated in their life in a really positive way is the, is the view on it. Yeah, that's, my that's a great, that's a great point. And I like that perspective. Thank you for sharing that. Because a lot of times, like, I, I saw so many, you know, people pass away and leave absolutely nothing. Yeah. But a lot of people I saw, like I worked with the, the disabled population, and they had no earnings. So they would come mm-hmm. in to file for social security benefits. And I'm like, you don't, you're not insured. And they're like, well, why not? I go, well, what have you been doing for income? Well, I'm self-employed. I didn't pay my taxes. I'm like, oh, well, now you don't have a benefit. Right. And so they would skate through life living, you know, in the moment, table, right. Mm-hmm. And then their parents would pass away and they would get the house. Yeah. So all of a sudden they would own a house and they have a, you know, mortgage free house, you know, they'd own it. All they have to do is pay the taxes, which is a lot less than the rent. Yep. And I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like you literally done nothing mm-hmm. your whole life except for squander your money. And now you have this house. Yeah. And it's like, well, great for you. That's awesome that your parents left you. And then when my mom passed away, you know, we got her house mm-hmm. and none of the kids wanted it. They're like, no, we're just going to sell it. You know, it's, we don't need a house. And mm-hmm. it's, it's funny because when you think about like, what do you want to leave? And it, it is, it's all about the strategy and really enjoying it. Cause I know when, you know, if you're in your twenties or something, you can start investing in a Roth IRA. Like, you know, so many people say, I don't have enough money. You don't understand. I can barely make ends meet. I can barely make my rent. It's so high. And, you know, since the pandemic, all this stuff has happened, you know, and I I live, you know, um, you know, I live on commissions. They have so many stories that they tell themselves. And I'm like, no, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's what you do with it. So when you take you know, 10% in savings and you build up that Roth IRA at 20, imagine how much money you're going to have by the time you hit 59 and a half. Absolutely. And it's like a small investment, right? Mm-hmm. It's, less than a, it's less than dinner. Like you go out to dinner, spend a hundred dollars, you know, and I, I know a lot of times like my, my youngest, um, he's dating a girl and they go out to dinner and I'm like, you, you know, do you really want to spend your money that way? Cause like, yeah. what's it cost you to go out to dinner once a week? Yeah, you Absolutely. Know, they love the experience. And I think a lot of young people, especially when they're dating in that relationship, that's their way to show love. Yeah. What's your perspective on on that with, you know, bringing money into the relationship and showing love by buying things, by having experiences? Yeah, I think it all depends on what, what fuels your relationship in the sense of 
Like, do you have a partner that prefers financial security? Do you have a partner who really appreciates it whenever you buy them a gift or take them out to dinner and pay for the meal? Paying for the meal is a gift. Anything that your partner can do that makes you feel loved, cherished, appreciated, cared for, supported is something that I would strongly encourage, but without completely sacrificing the well-being of yourself and the relationship. Having a money conversation early is so, 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 so important. Unfortunately, many of us don't have the necessary conversations to make informed decisions on if we should commit or not. And money is absolutely one of those conversations. It's very taboo. It's almost like sex. It's weird. I don't know why people are weird about talking about money. I mean, I know why. It's cultural, societal, all those things, right, that play into it. Um, But when it comes to, like, should we spend this money? It's really about, are you having the financial conversations with your partner for you both to make the best decisions where you can still enjoy your life now and also take care of yourselves and protect your relationship in the future? So having monthly check-ins is a great way to do that. What are our finances? Being really transparent about finances is a huge win when you can talk about like, hey, these are our goals what are our joint goals? What are my individual goals? And what are my joint goals, right? Mm -hmm. And how can we achieve them? And how much money does that leave us to spend on taking care of each other the way we want to show our love together? Every, Every financial conversation should, or at least financial consideration, I believe should have like your savings, your investment, your bills, like all of the other um, boxes that you need to tick. But equally, it needs to have like, how many finances do I need to like really enjoy my life the way I want to enjoy them? Let's budget for that in a way that feels really good while also taking care of the other buckets that you were talking about, the other envelopes that I want to save for. So it's really about having that open communication. And the other thing about open communication around finances is there's a lot of insecurities around finances. There's a lot of shame. There's a ton of emotions around finances, especially whenever you have one partner who makes significantly more than the other, there's a whole power dynamic that comes into play. So how can you have these conversations in a way that is really compassionate, empathetic, supportive, and makes the the, both parties feel comfortable and safe to have this conversation where you both can trust each other when it comes to finances. And the thing I will say about check-ins is one, anytime you have a financial conversation, always ask for permission. I fully believe that conversations require consent. And because if your partner's not in the headspace for it because they're stressed out about work or they're tired because they didn't get a lot of sleep, that's just a recipe for disaster. So asking like, hey, I would love to talk about our bills or I would love to talk about my retirement or maybe seeing a financial planner. Is that something that you're willing to talk about right now? Are you in the headspace for it? And if they're like, yeah, let's do it. And if they're like, no, I'm not, then find a good time that does feel good for you. Don't just leave it at no, I'm not. Ask them, when do you think would be a good time so we can set that time aside? And then set the container, make it very specific, whether it's 30 minutes, an hour, or maybe you give it more um, room to breathe and you stay for a couple hours. But after that check-in timeframe container is over, end the conversation there and go back to being your lovey-dovey selves and enjoying your relationship any of these conversations, any difficult conversation, whether it's money, emotions, 
um, anything in re regards to relationships. Make sure you always close these conversations with some type of connection practice. And that could just be a really long hug. That could be saying, thanks for talking to me about this. This is really helpful. I feel really good having a clear idea now on what we want to do. So it's really about the communication that comes into play, setting the standards and expectations um, make a huge impact as well. Yeah. And having that open communication is so important. Yes. Setting the foundation. You know, like when we set the foundation, especially, you know, when, a, a, you know, when two people are dating and they're going on to that next level, like they've gone through the speed dating, they've gone on the first few dates and now they're getting that commitment and maybe they're on their way to being engaged. That's the time to have that conversation is before you commit to that engagement, because if you're not on the same page, mm -hmm. it creates so much tension yeah. and understanding like, what am I afraid of? Why don't I want to have this mm -hmm. conversation? I, I have a few clients that are in relationships with what they call deadbeat um, partners, where mm -hmm. as soon as they get into the relationship, they quit their job. And it's like, well, what do you mean you yes. quit your job? What, what did you do? <laughs> like, what? no, we were depending on your money. And yes. all of a sudden it flipped on them and they're like, you know, shocked and hurt and feel betrayed. Mm -hmm. well, how would you address that situation? Yeah, I would even say have the conversation before engagement. Have the conversation before you're like, let's be exclusive partners because money is such a big part of our life. It's the number two reason divorces happen is mm -hmm. fighting over money. So don't wait until you're engaged to have the money conversation. It's so important to set these standards up front. And standards are what you are creating for yourself. They're essentially expectations you're creating for yourself. And then you get to communicate those standards to your partner and say, is this something that you're able and willing to do? And then your partner gets to decide, hey, yeah, I can get on board with that budget. Or no, I don't like that. You don't want to pay for anything in full because I like to feel taken care of in this way. It's about having those conversations, right? So in regards to there's a lot of prevention work that can go into this, right? I expect you to have a job. And if you get fired or get laid off, that's okay. Things happen in life. But I expect you or my standard is that you are going to start looking for a job, that you are going to provide income into this household because I don't want to do it on my own. I didn't get into this relationship to be the sole financial provider and are you on board with that? Are you on board with this household being a double income household? And yes, I am on board with that. Or no, I don't want that pressure. That's also okay. I just want to say like, it's okay to say like, I don't want to work. A lot of people, there's a lot of shame around that. Mm -hmm. I want to be a stay-at-home mom. I want to be a stay-at-home dad. That's okay. What's not okay is doing it without having the conversation with your partner first, because it does feel like a trick. There is a level of betrayal. You had assumed expectations going into this relationship because your partner was working that they will continue to work when maybe that wasn't their ultimate goal. Maybe mm. their ultimate goal is to relax on the beach, enjoying coconuts. I don't know. It's a ridiculous example, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but having these conversations up front, like what are your, what are your financial goals? Do you have an idea of like how you want to retire? Like I've had this conversation with my partner before we committed when we, when he brought up, like, I want to have, I, I want to be boyfriend, girlfriend. I was like, we have a very long conversation to have. I have like 
50 questions that (laughs) and I'm like we need to talk about finances we need to talk about living situation we need to talk about do you want kids we need to talk about what we want our sex life to be we need to talk about what type of partner you want what type of partner I want what I want my partnership to look like so it was a very detailed conversation so we knew going into our commitment before engagement like this is just like the initial exclusivity commitment right that we were going to be a good fit. Oftentimes, what what people don't realize is the neuroscience behind relationships deeply impacts our decision-making in the different stages of relationship engagement, right? So the first three months, our adrenaline and dopamine is super high. We feel really good. We feel motivated. We feel excited. And it's easy to overlook red flags. It's easy to ignore the things that annoy us. But then six months later, when that high comes down and we're now, our brain is receiving the oxytocin, the attachment chemical, we are starting to notice all these things that we were like, oh, that's kind of annoying, but mm, it's fine. He's great in so many other ways or she's great in so many other ways. But now the fact that you're leaving the cap off of the toothpaste drives me freaking nuts. Get out of my house, right? So it's like- (laughs) It's, it's, it's taking the time you need before committing to have these really in-depth conversations that people are not having. All relationships require negotiation. It's just like a business partnership. You have to negotiate what the standards and expectations are that you have, that your partner has, and then how do you combine the two in a way that feels really good for the both of you? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so true with money too. Like you have to have that foundation set up. You have to have these things in place, knowing what you want, knowing what your goals are and, you know, having that list ready. Like we all talk about visualization and manifestation, but really what it is, is what do I want? You know, and I remember the first time I was asked that question, like Lisa, what do you want? And, you know, and I became a mom at 18 and I was 40 when Mm. someone asked me that, I'm like, no one's ever asked me that. I never even thought about what I wanted. And you're like, and when I sat down and looked at it, it's like, wow. And, you know, my husband and I have been together for 34 years. And I remember having that conversation with him and he had initiated. He's like, you know, we're going to go to the next level in our relationship. Let's have this Mm -hmm. conversation because I was a single mom and he was coming into my family and Mm -hmm. like really needed to, you know, be on the same page, especially when you bring a child involved. It's so important important because, you know, you're, you're marrying that family and that relationship, you know, with this, this new person totally changes the dynamics. And, you know, even from discipline and, you know, um, how you're raising them, like, do they go to private school or public school? And, you know, you know, if you have a religious background and things like that, all of these details matter and really knowing what you want is so important. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise. I can talk to you for hours. (laughs) You have so much beautiful insight and I, I love how you interweave the science behind the relationship. Tell us a little bit about who you work with. What do you, I'm sorry. What do you mean by who I work with? Oh, like like the clients. Oh, my clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I I mainly work with couples and I focus on communication. So I like to turn conflict into connection and I call it the couples fight club. So if anybody is interested and want to turn their bickering into bliss, uh, please reach out to me. And then in regards to people who are single and are looking to be in a serious relationship, I help get you relationship ready. So we do the the back work of like 
what are the patterns, behaviors that ha are consistently showing up in relationships? How do we change those? What are the conversations that I need to have? What are the things I need to think through? And how can I design my ideal relationship? That's one of my favorite things is designing your ideal relationship. It can look like whatever you want. It's like building a house and then you get to decorate it however you want. It can be as traditional as possible or it could be as, as eclectic as you want. And that's what's the so much fun and beauty of what we do. But a lot of my work is based around communication because communication is key, but the even stronger foundation or the, the lower level of communication that is required is self-awareness. So I work with couples and individuals in those regards. I love that. That's beautiful. Can you share the best financial tip that you've applied, applied to your life? With the <laughs> Yeah, I think honestly, my best financial tip is what we talked about earlier is treating money like your partner. Like mm -hmm. having those conversations with money, like it's your partner, understanding what about money is triggering me and why is it triggering me? Things along those lines. So yeah, absolutely. Treat your money like partner, give it the space to breathe and show up for you. Give yourself the space to breathe and show up for money in the ways that really support both of your lives growing together. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your energy with us. For those of you listening, please check the show notes. Connect. If you're looking for that relationship advice, uh, Christina is your girl. She's going to really help you out with getting yourself prepared if you're single and if you're in a couple and you kind of have some arguments, you're a little bit chaotic, connect with her. Uh, be you. sure to find her on social media and all the things. And remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it's what you do with it. Thanks for tuning into the show. Give us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Get ready to activate wealth. Be the next millionaire with a simple adjustment of your finances using an energetically aligned money multiplier system. You get to build wealth by partnering with money. It's time to have fun with finances. Pick a date. The link is in the show notes to book your wealth activation call where you will get the one solution to multiply your money. Remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it's what you do with it.